be with all of you. Can I move these notes? Is that okay? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Philippians. We now reach Philippians chapter 3. Are you going to stay and play the piano while I preach? I don't know. It just seemed like that. I was like, man, maybe you're going to keep playing. You don't know. You don't need to. Um, Okay, we're in Philippians chapter 3. Please turn there in your Bibles. Uh, Recall that this church exists because of God, because of the power of the gospel, because a man named Paul, who was transformed by Jesus, came to the city of Philippi, began getting to know people, getting to know the city, befriending them, loving them, and he shared the gospel, and three radically different people's lives were transformed forever, for eternity, uh, through the blood of Jesus, and then that group of three people formed the core group of what grew to be a church in the city of Philippi. Uh, Paul is in prison in the city of Rome, and he's writing a letter to these Christians, the, the Philippians, and he's encouraging them, and he's equipping them, and he's guiding them in their young Christianity and their young life in the church. And what we're going to talk about today is a transformation that must take place in your life in order to become a Christian and in order uh, to grow as a Christian. The same way that you become a Christian is the same way that you continue to grow as a Christian and make progress as a Christian. And um, even if someone is, has no kind of church background, anyone you might encounter uh, in this room or on your street or in your workplace or in your school, no matter their background, even if their background's not church, no kind of concept of the Bible, Everybody knows that something's kind of off inside of themselves. Everyone knows that something's wrong, something's off. Even if they can't name that as sin, they know, hey, there's something is off, and there's some sort of a gap that needs to be crossed. Whether they could identify that as God or not, they could say there, there's a gap between who I am and you know, the person I want to be or to put things right or to have things in, in order. And um, Paul's going to address that today. And this transformation that needs to occur in our life is very counter, very counterintuitive. It's not quite what you'd think. So um, Paul gets pretty biographical here um, in Philippians chapter 3. We learn a little bit more about his story, and uh, this, is, this is a big deal, what he says here. So listen to these words. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Chapter 3, 1 through 11. Finally... My brothers. It's interesting. He says finally, but he's not going to end the book for another two chapters. So it's kind of like, you know, those preachers that sometimes go long and they're like, this is my last point, but they talk for another 20 minutes. That's kind of what he's doing here. Uh, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so as we work through this, the image I want you to have in your head is uh, maybe that of a, a ledger of a bank account. Um, I just uh, opened, my, my oldest son just turned 13 two weeks ago, and I, I opened a bank account for my sons when they turn 10, a savings account. Then when they turn 13, they can move on to the Wells Fargo teen checking account where they get their own debit card and learn a little bit more about how to manage money. And my oldest son's learning about debit and credit. He's learning about you know, how to have his bank account uh, balanced and, and how to not have withdrawals and how to have, um, you know, credit in there rather than debit in there. So if you can think about your, your life before God like a bank account, because that's a bit of the metaphor Paul's working with here, um, that you can have credit with God, that's your righteousness, or you could have debit with God, that's your sin. And Paul's kind of talking about that in his own life. And Paul gets into talking about um, his old life before Jesus, um, sort of before Jesus, what his credentials were like before God. And he points out who it was. Paul, you know, is a, is, is a Jew, um, a Hebrew. And listen, he, he lists in his old life seven credentials, seven credentials. And again, this is addressing that problem of there's a gap between yourself and God. How do you measure up? How do you get right with God? How do you stand before God and say, yes, I've got enough righteousness in my bank account, to stand right before you, God, to be righteous before you. So listen, look at the seven credentials. Um, so we're down into verse 5. Paul's talking about this difference between being a person who has confidence in the flesh or having your confidence placed somewhere else, and we're going to get to that. So he's saying, of anyone in the world, you know, at this time, I have more reason than anyone else to place supreme confidence in my flesh, in my bank account, in my righteousness before God. Look at the seven reasons. First, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. And what he's saying there is, my parents did the right thing by me. They fulfilled the Hebrew scriptures. They had me circumcised on the eighth day, circumcised before God. I started off on the right foot. Um, from kind of birth, I've been, I've been on the right path. I've done the right thing. Next, he says, he's of the people of Israel. You know, as he's dealing with the people in Philippi, he's dealing largely with Gentiles, not, not Jews. So he's saying, I've always been part of the royal family. I've always been part of the people of God. I've always been one of the Israelites. Uh, then he says of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was a great tribe of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The first king of Israel came from the tribe of, of Benjamin. Um, he, he, you know, that, that, that's where uh, the, the, the city of Jerusalem was and that tribe. That's where the temple was. So he said, I come from the, I come from the right bloodline. I come from the right people. I come from the right family. Then he says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, um, so I'm not like the, you know, the Gentiles. I, I'm as Hebrew as they come, I come from the right people, the right family, um, done the right things. As to the law of Pharisee, you guys know the Pharisees. The Pharisees actually added to the Old Testament, to the commandments of God. They had such a great um, passion to want to obey God's laws, they actually added extra laws to like, make sure they wouldn't disobey God's laws. The Pharisees get a bad rap in Scripture in the New Testament from Jesus. Um, but, but a lot of the Pharisees' motivation was, like, we want to honor God. And so they came up with these extra rules, these extra laws, these extra regulations. And that got very legalistic and was very bad. But there was, at least in the beginning, a heart there to want to honor God. And so he says, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Like, I was very disciplined. 
I did all the right stuff. Like, check out my report card. Check out my record. I did really good. Then he says he was a persecutor of the church. Again, before Paul had his life-changing encounter with Jesus, Paul was on this path believing that the way to get right with God was, was not through grace, but through obedience to God's law, doing everything right. He goes, so I was persecuting the church. The, there were these people that claimed that the Son of God died, rose again. There were, and I knew those people were wrong, so I went around and I persecuted them. I drove, drove, drove those people off to prison. I persecuted them. I attacked those grace people. And he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. He said, if you, if you could have looked at my report card, you'd see I had an A+. Plus. If you could have looked at that credit column in my bank account, just I'm righteous. I'm covered in righteousness. I did, I did all, the right, all the right things. And so that's, that's Paul's confidence that he used to have in the flesh. So I want, I want you to just to think about yourself and your credentials that you would bring before God to say, God, I'm, I'm right before you, or God, this is what I've got before you. I mean, what is... Um, when you maybe look at those columns, your loss column, I don't say this out loud, but your loss column, you know, what's the worst thing that you've ever done? What's the worst thing that you've ever done? What's your greatest sin that you've got shame over, regret over, guilt over? What the, what's kind of in your loss column? Or what about your gain column, your credit column, your righteousness column? What are the best things that you've ever done? And when you look at those columns, and when God looks at those columns, how do they... How do they stack up? Is the, is the loss column bigger than the gain column, righteousness column? How does it all look? That's the way we can tend to think about our relationship with God and our standing with God and our acceptance with God. Is like, okay, how did, how did I do with the whole story of my life? How did I do today? How did I do this week? How did I do since church last week? Do I have more going on in the gain column than I have in the loss column? And thinking that that's where our standing with God comes from, because that's the tendency, the default mode of the human heart, self-justification, self-righteousness. Um, and we can do the same kinds of things. I can do the same kinds of things Paul does. You know, it's not going to sound, the, your seven credentials might not sound the exact same way, but it may be similar. Like, hey, but I, but I kind of came from this family, or I'm, I'm not as bad as other people. Um, I, I read the Bible all the time. I didn't do what this person did. I... You know, I was born in the right place, all that. You know, we can, we can really start to, to do that. But if, if you look at, even in the Old Testament, if you want to flip in your Bible, look at Isaiah 64, verse 6. Would you flip there to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6? Isaiah 64, verse 6. The prophet Isaiah says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. See what the prophet Isaiah is saying? He's saying um, our righteous deeds, even our best deeds, um, are like a polluted garment before God and his righteousness. Actually, the phrase it's translated as polluted garment here um, from the Hebrew. It, it actually, it's literally menstrual rags. It's saying our righteous deeds before the righteousness of the living God are just like menstrual rags. In other words, God is unimpressed. You might be impressed, we might be impressed sometimes with our righteousness, but God finds our righteous deeds unimpressive. So if we're trying to base our standing on God, our standing with God, or our acceptance from God on 
our righteousness and what we've done, um, that's, that's not Christianity. That's, that's pride. That's not biblical. That's thinking that we've kind of earned our salvation and earned our way with God. And that's who Jesus reserved his harshest critique for in the New Testament. He reserved his harshest critique for the Pharisees and for the people like Paul who thought that they were better than other people because of their righteous deeds and for the people who thought they were entitled to a relationship with the living God because of their righteous deeds. They were completely missing the point of the whole Bible and the story that the whole Bible is getting us to, which is the greatness, holiness, and righteousness of God and then the sinfulness of man and our need for a Savior. Part of becoming a Christian means recognizing that you need to be saved from your bad deeds, but also, here's a way to think of it, also from your good deeds. Sometimes what keeps someone from God isn't so much their bad deeds, but also their good deeds. Think about Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. You had the one son who ran off with the wild, crazy, sinful life, and he was aware that he needed salvation. He's aware he needed transformation. He's aware he needed grace. But you had the other son who was doing all the right things, kind of the good boy, and that's what kept him from the grace of God, was him thinking he didn't need a savior, him thinking he didn't need grace. Um, John Gerstner, theologian John Gerstner said, quote, the thing that really separates us from God is not so much our sin, but our damnable good works. Do you see what he's saying there? The thing that really separates us from God is not so much our sin, but our damnable good works. What, it, what he's saying there is, um, he's speaking of the Pharisee type people. What's keeping you from God isn't just your sin, but it's like thinking that you're so good, that you've done everything right, and that's what's keeping you separated from God. But Paul had a turning point, and this turning point comes in verse 7. Let me read verse 7 to us again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. When Paul on the Damascus Road had this transforming experience with the resurrected Jesus, and just he, the scales fell from his eyes, and he began to see God accurately, and himself and his sin accurately, and Christ uh, accurately. The transformation is everything that he counted as gain, he began to count as loss. So everything he had in the gain column, all the reasons that he had confidence in the flesh, came from the right family, obeyed the law, did the right thing, better than these other people, da 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 this is my righteousness, God. God, would you be impressed with me? God, would you accept me? God, would you love me because of my righteousness? Because of my gain, everything in the gain column? He's saying everything that he had there in the gain column, he now counted as loss. A total transformation. Um, and actually in the Greek, this word here, uh, or v- verse 8, excuse me, then he goes on, he says, I count it all as lost because it's passing worth of Christ Jesus. Um, and he says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This word rubbish, what, what word do you have in your translation in verse 7 where it says rubbish? Garbage. Yeah, garbage. Anyone else have any other words in a translation? Okay, so let's follow this. He says, this was my gain. I now count what was so important to me, what I was pursuing with all my heart, what was so important to me, what I was basing my standing with God on, that gain I now count as loss. And then he uses, he, he moves from the word loss to an even more extreme word. And he says, I count that as rubbish, or as your translation has it, garbage. In the Greek, it's the word skubala. This word literally means, and sorry for using this word, but it's poop. That's what, it, that's what the word means. It's animal excrement. 
He says, I count that all as, as poop now. Do you see the extremes of what Paul is saying? Like, I thought this was what life was about. I thought it's what matters. But now when I look at the ledger, I count that all as rubbish, as garbage, as poop. He's saying the only thing we bring to the table when it comes to a relationship with God is we, there's nothing in the game column. Everything I thought was in the game column is it's this sort of bag of poop. It's crazy. But we can get so caught up into thinking that if I can just do this right or obey this rule, obey this rule, then God will really love me or really accept me or I'll be a good person. Paul had, to, had this transformation. He had this uh, scubala, garbage, rubbish moment that we all need to have, and I trust many of you have in this room, uh, we all need to have in order to become a Christian, where we go, gosh, everything that I thought earned my approval before you, God, Actually, it was just rubbish. It was trash. It was a bag of poop. It didn't, it didn't do anything. And, 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 and why? Well, Paul says this in verse 8, verse 7 and 8. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found, I'm in verse 9 now, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul is saying that a real, true relationship with the living God comes not from a righteousness that you earn, but a righteousness that you receive. Not from a righteousness that you accumulate and achieve in your gain column. The only way to get in on this righteousness where you know the living God, where you know Jesus Christ, is to recognize that all you have is this, this loss column. Standing before the living God, all you have before him is this loss column of separated from him, your sin, even your good works don't, don't make you right with him. And so what you need is an outside righteousness. So if you want to be right with God, if you want to be saved, and and, and again, this is also how we grow and mature in the Christian life, you have to get this righteousness from outside of yourself. You have to understand that, and, and this is the beautiful thing that happens in your bank account when you encounter Jesus and you're saved by him, is, is everything that, that then you now see is in that lost column that all becomes forgiven. Everything that we're just thinking about, that the worst thing that you've ever done, and then even recognizing that even your good deeds have um, separated you from God. That's all forgiven. And then your gain column becomes just filled with the righteousness of Jesus, so that when the living God looks at you, he just sees, he sees the righteousness of Jesus covering you, caring for you. That your bank account, you're loaded in your bank account with the righteousness, the riches, and the wealth of Jesus, that all is good, and you're saved you're saved entirely. Paul then goes on to say in verse 10 that um, kind of the whole focus of his life has shifted. It, it shifted from confidence in the flesh. Here's what we think was going on when Paul was writing this. We think what was going on in the church of Philippi is some people, had, some false teachers had kind of made their way into the church of Philippi, and they were kind of saying, okay, cool, great, you've got Jesus, yeah, yeah, but make sure like you have all of your good works, and, and, and so you can really be a superior Christian and really get in on the love of God and really be sure of your salvation. You need that. And Paul's correcting them, saying, no, 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 no. It is all Jesus. The way you are saved, 
the way you grow, the way you have security for eternity is Jesus, not your own works. So verse um, 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain from the resurrection of dead. Paul is saying is um, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. I just, I just want to know, that's what my life's all about now, is knowing, is knowing Jesus. And um, Paul no longer has to keep up that, uh, he no longer has to kind of keep up that project of I've got to try hard, be the good person, ha- have people see me the right way. He's like, I'm done with all that. I know that I am who I am. I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. And I'm safe in his blood. And I just want to know him and I want to tell other people about him. That's why Paul could go into a city and offer the gospel to three very different types of people, right? The destitute slave girl whose life is a total mess. Lydia, the Asian businesswoman whose life's pretty put together on the outside, but not on the inside. The blue-collar jailer who works for the enemies, the Roman government. That's why he could freely offer the gospel to all people, because Paul knew that we don't all stand on these different levels before God, that before the cross we all stand on equal ground, and everyone is someone in need of the grace of God. No one's better than anyone else. And then he tells them, if we back up to the beginning of the text, this is why he gives them these warnings. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul's not afraid to, um, to kind of call people names. Um, look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. The people he's talking about there are these, you know, one term that's used for them are the Judaizers. These people that were coming into the church and saying, hey, Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus all of your good works, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, then that's how you can really be approved by God. Then that's how you can really be a superior and great Christian. And Paul calls those people out, and he's saying, look out for them. That's false teaching. He's saying, don't allow that false teaching in your life. Don't allow that false teaching in your church. Look out for those people. It's Jesus only. It's Jesus only. So what does this mean for for you, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for Home of Christ Church? What does this mean for us in Silicon Valley? Um, think about this. What is it that is maybe separating you, it, it, assuming you've repented of your sin, you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, what is it that day by day, week by week, maybe um, keeps you from enjoying God, enjoying his love, and being the kind of person that contagiously, freely offers the love of God to other people? If, if you're anything like me, it might be actually your good works and what you see in the gain column rather than the things you see in the loss column. It might be a pride that you've built up that makes you think, oh, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person because look at what I've done today. Look at what I've done this week. I think I'm a pretty good person because I'm doing better than those other people here. I have confidence in the flesh. Those people shouldn't have that kind of confidence in the flesh because they're not doing the things that I'm doing. That's what Paul is wanting uh, the Philippians to look out for, and that's what he is wanting us to look out for. The only reason to have confidence in the church is through the blood of Jesus and what he has done. So my encourage, my homework, my challenge um, for you this week would be don't only repent of um, your obvious sins and bad deeds, like, oh, I did this, I disobeyed this command. Also repent of the hidden and sneaky pride that gives you a confidence in your flesh to think, I'm a, I'm a pretty impressive Christian. I'm a pretty impressive person. I've done 
done a lot of good things. Repent of those things. And I think that's when the grace of God can really do some fresh and transforming work in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for these words in Philippians chapter 3. And I pray that um, you would help expose in our lives uh, ways where we maybe have confidence in the flesh rather than confidence entirely in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. Would you more and more make us a humble people who recognize that we are loved by you and we know you and we have hope for eternity uh, only because of your grace, not because of anything that we have done. So would you sink your grace just sort of one level deeper into our heart, into our mind, into our story today? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.